what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am one of the two uh, founders, directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival held every year. With me is the other co in that co-title of both of those things I mentioned, Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing today? Um, I'm doing good. I have a new microphone that I'm using in my makeshift home studio, so hopefully our audience will be able to tell I now sound 100% professional, which I'm sure is how I sound. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll give you like 92, but okay. you know, we're, we're, we're still, we're still in a recording from home situation. So, you know, there's just only so much that can be done, unfortunately, when we're not in our actual nice uh, office studio to record these, but Hey, we are getting better. So you sound much better, Chris. So glad to have you. Uh, joining in with the new mic and uh, happy to have you here talking movies like we always do. Um, so when Chris and I get together on Foot Candle Films, we will review a couple of films, normally some new films that you could see in the movie theater. Obviously, that's still not something we can do. So our new movies will be ones you can see at home uh, uh, from the convenience of your own couch. So today we'll be reviewing two different films. We'll be reviewing the latest drama horror mystery film, you Should Have Left, starring Kevin Bacon. We'll also be discussing the film Shirley, starring Elizabeth Moss as horror writer Shirley Jackson. Then we'll be moving on after those two reviews. We'll have later in the episode, we'll do some a little bit of movie news, but mainly focus on talking about some interesting film projects that are either close to being released or maybe are in production that we're kind of curious about. It's a segment we like to call This Could Be Good, where the good has to raise at the end because it is a question mark. We don't know. These film projects sound interesting, but we always like to speculate a little bit uh, before they're released. And then we'll cap out the show with our recommendations of the episode. That's where Chris and I both share a film recommendation of something either we caught back up with recently or had a chance to see for the first time and felt like it's a warranting a recommendation to you, the listening audience. So that is kind of the plan, the game plan for today's show. Chris, did I miss anything? No, I I think you got it all. I am going to give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this episode. It's Time Genies. And uh, their services include home organizing, realtor staging, office cleaning, residential cleaning, work and home relocation, and a personal concierge, which is kind of neat because in that they're talking about grocery shopping, car repair, get your car an oil change, event planning, stuff like that. So that sounds like something you might benefit from, that service. You can look up their website at time-genies.com, or you can give them a telephone call at 213-444-3643. We thank them. Yeah, Time Genies. We're a big fan. They do a lot of great work, uh, not only for our offices, my own home, other ways, places. So I could not, uh, could not agree more. They're a great organization. Thanks for your support to Time Genies. So Chris, let's go ahead and get started with our first review, which is a film that did premiere online, video on demand. Uh, It is the latest film from director David Cope. 
and it's starring Kevin Bacon and Amanda Siegfried. It is You Should Have Left. Come away with me. I don't get out of here for a while. I can let it go nuts. I love you so much. It's just the three of us. Just you and me and Ella. Daddy, because you're old, you'll die before mommy, right? Hey, not that old. I love this. Wait. What? Listen. Be quiet. Hey. There was a shadow on the wall. I know it's fun, but it's time to sleep. Good night, honey. Switches. Does this wall look right to you? What are you doing? 26 feet. 21. This room is five feet longer on the inside than it is on the outside. How does that work? It doesn't. Anything happened yet? Hello. You chose this place, not me. You sent me the link. I absolutely did not. You sent it to me. Somebody wrote in my journal. Do you like it here? No. Do you? I hate it. before that one. What sort of house? Why do people hate Daddy so much? The judge and the jury all found him innocent, but some people didn't believe him. The house chose me. He must be guilty of something. People have always stayed in that house. Some don't leave. The right ones usually find the place. Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried star in a Blumhouse haunted house joint directed by writer-director David Kep, who wrote, co-wrote Jurassic Park Panic Room, directed Stir of Echoes with Mr. Bacon. From that simple description, I felt like I kind of knew what I was getting into. Alan, you spotted this release and suggested it for the show, possibly wanting to increase your six degrees of Kevin Bacon knowledge. How was your experience with You Should Have Left, and did you ever find yourself saying... I should have turned it off. Oh, that's a really good line, Chris. I'm really happy with that line, the way you, you rolled that off of there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, talking about this film, you should have left. Um, all right. Well, let me go ahead and preface this and say that we're in a different world of watching films these days. I kind this of alluded to that in the introduction. We don't have new films coming out in the big movie theaters. Uh, no big releases, no big blockbuster films showing up in the theater. So a lot of the films that are creeping our way that we get to see as new films are these video on demand. And they are um, a little more of a mixed bag of film quality. So given that and given that I've kind of been living in this situation like we all have for the last maybe three to four months, 
I have found my standards for watching films change. Where a film, <laughs> Are you saying you're lowering your standards or they're just standards? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. To the okay. point where a film that I would have really uh, been disappointed with at a $10 ticket when going, traveling to the movie theater. I now I watch it for on, on online at home and I'm like, yeah, that's all right. It was okay. So that's kind of where this film is. This film is a, yeah, I mean, it was it was a okay way to spend a, an hour and forty minutes of my time. Um, it's not great. Um, it's passably good, um, and I'll explain my reasons why for giving it such a lukewarm recommendation. But um, you, here in this film, you should have left. You, you have the story of you find out a former banker who's married to a girl who's an actress, much younger actress. Uh, and then their spirited daughter and they book a vacation at a isolated modern home in the Welsh countryside where just some very, very odd things start to happen. Um, this has got all the makings, Chris, of a film that I really dig. Okay. I'm not a big horror movie fan, but I do love okay. more, more mystery horror or more like something's going on. I don't know what this means or I don't know why this is happening, but I want to find out. And this film definitely has mystery elements attached. There is a big mystery attached to Kevin Bacon's character, the main character of the film. Yeah. We, we know there's something in his background, but we don't know what. And I, that's always something I really like. I like that kind of idea of somebody's got a mysterious past and you have to try to figure out what it is. I like the idea of a mysterious home that is a little bit more like a modern haunted house-ish type of feel to it. And it's the house's got its own personality and there's some odd things to it going on all the elements are there where i'm kind of digging where this film is setting up and the premise and what it's trying to do uh, i will say it it doesn't hold up in my mind it does not deliver it does not in the end come away making me say wow they they really they really delivered on this film because they didn't i, I felt <laughs> like it really kind of limped at the end but okay. I will still say I had an enjoyable time watching it for those elements I just described earlier that I like about this type of film. It is a Blumhouse production with, like you said, the intro, which is, you know, known for making a little more lower budget films, horror right. films. Um, and generally speaking, if I had to watch a horror film nowadays, I, I kind of trust that brand a little bit more than maybe some other horror films I would see. So um, all told, I think the film is a decent watch but um again if i had paid ten dollars and stood in line in a movie theater and i uh, had a crowd around me and um snacks and drink to carry in would i walk away happy with this film no i don't think i would have i think i would have been pretty disappointed so that's my in a nutshell i can go into more details in a minute but chris i want to hear your take on you should have left well you know if we have a drinking game here at foot candle films i guess it would be you know, all about how trailers can ruin things for us. Somebody would take a drink. Or if we talked about expectations, <laughs> somebody would need to take a drink. Um, I had no expectations for this film. Um, and that's a good thing. Because, no, I'm not going to say this is one of my top ten films of the year. I'm not going to say it's one of my favorites for a year. But, you know, it it's a Blumhouse horror film. And for what it was, I thought it was good. You know, I'm not going to say it was it was outstanding. But, you know, like you said, it was worth the price of admission. If you want something interesting, um, it is, I would say a knock against it is I kind of felt like at a certain point, maybe a third of the way through, I kind of felt like I knew where it was going. Cause they actually mm -hmm. kind of yeah. shadow some things pretty, 
they kind of foreshadow some things that are pretty obvious. And then sure enough, that's how it turns out. But that being a certain, said, a certain character who's played by another character you're referring to kind of. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed. And, I thought it tipped his hand way too early on some things that right. were pretty obvious. I felt like, and that could have been a much better mystery down the road. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think one of the things that kind of, there were two things that I kind of admired. One thing which I wish they would have pressed a little harder on, but they didn't. Um, so I'll go with the first thing first. That's just an out-and-out compliment. Um, the cinematography and the production design I thought were awesome. Specifically, instead of just making a house creepy by throwing a bunch of ivy or having darkened corridors or creaking floors, you know, the, the typical when you think, oh, this is a haunted house movie, which, yes, the house in here does play a big part because it's the thing you should have left. So it's this house. Mm-hmm. Um, they made it a very atypical haunted house type thing. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, I like, you know, it was basically kind of like a house with J crew or a pottery barn house and you know, everything's very mm-hmm. clean and organized with sharp lines. It's an attractive house, you know, it's a, a yeah, cool like modern it. house. Yeah. <laughs> I um, really like a, the house. <laughs> yeah. It's like a parasite house, you know, the parasite house yeah. or the house oh, and yeah. um, the invisible man, like all these, you know, modern type. But the thing was they made it creepy and not necessarily by being dark or anything like that. Just, they made it unsettling, like things that happened. So I, and the way they shot it. So I give, I give credit to the film for that, that it was atypical and it, I found it visually interesting. There's a sequence, which I won't go into detail, you know, how and why, but there's basically a room where it's like a staircase and there's a swinging light bulb, exposed light bulb in the middle of this staircase. And it's a spiral staircase. And the shadows that are caused by that, like, you know, play all over the walls and everything. And it is so cool, such a cool image, so well shot and so disorienting. My only regret that is that I didn't get to see that in the scale of it being in a movie theater because that would have made it even more impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I really, I really liked that. I thought it was a really cool touch. So, yeah. I, uh, so I'm with you on the kind of the style of the house. I think the house was obviously a character in the film and, I liked it. I thought it was unique and interesting and not your stereotypical haunted house or creepy house vibe. Again, I mentioned uh, just the overall premise of the film on the onset of uh, the mystery character of the main, the mystery background of the main character, the interesting locale. I mean, I love the fact that it's kind of in, in what in Wales is that, is that where the house is? That's where and, um, mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, you know, kind of an odd place to kind of drop in this very modern house. And I like the kind of dichotomy there to it. Mm-hmm. And I like the foreshadowing that did happen earlier in the film, kind of letting, you know, some things were going to happen again. Some of it was a little on the nose. Again, we're not going to spoil anything, but there was a scene early on where you're introduced to a character. And I thought it was pretty darn obvious <laughs> what that character was going to be. And sure enough, it's treated like a surprise later in the film, but I felt like it didn't really warrant that. No. Um, I'll say Kevin Bacon, Amanda Seyfried. I thought they were fine. I mean, I, I, I think I don't think they added anything special to the film. Well, but I thought they were played their part the way they needed to. And, and again, they could have been replaced with other good, good talented actors. I don't think it would have impacted the film any. Um, but they played their parts well, so I'll give them that much. Well, I'll I'll say one of the things that I said that you know I said there were two things. One was the cinematography and production design, and then there was something else that I admired about it. I did admire Kevin Bacon could be her father because he is like 20, 25 years older than Amanda Seyfried. 
And, you know, and that's happening, happens a lot in Hollywood where they make films and the leading man is a lot older and they don't even acknowledge it. In this film, that was the thing I did admire is they acknowledge that. Even their mm-hmm. daughter makes a reference to like, daddy, are you going to die before mommy because you're so old? So they, they call it out. They acknowledge it. They don't try to hide from it. The fact that, you know, some people would think it's creepy that there's this older guy with this much younger woman. I thought that was interesting. Um, I felt like in a way they could have investigated that a little more, but they, but they didn't. So I think if they would have, and yeah, investigated kind of the relationship that exists between the husband and wife, I think if they would have pressed on that a little harder because it could have gone to some interesting places, but they didn't, but Hey, this is a Blumhouse horror film. So (laughs) there's that. Um, The ending of the film, um, I, I like films that are left a little more open to interpretation. I have no problem with that. I'm not someone who needs everything to be buttoned up and tied up and perfectly painted. Right. I feel like this might've been a little too loose though. I just feel like, uh, I mean, I, I think you could stitch together kind of what the idea behind the film is. There's enough themes going on where I think anybody viewing it gets a sense of what the, the overall message of the film is supposed to be by the ending. I do feel like the ending was a little more muddled than it needed to be. I mean, I can kind of pick apart. Well, why did this person go to this place? Why did they, if this was the, if this was the situation and it starts to kind of fall apart a little bit, if you really start to nitpick it. But, um, so I do feel like the ending might've been a little too. That's, that's interesting. Nebulous, because, that's interesting because I actually, yeah. Okay. There's a reveal that to you and I was not, we'll have to dance around things here a little bit. Yeah. There was a reveal to you and I that's not, wasn't a reveal to you and I. Does that mean there's a reveal yeah. the film thinks it's making and to you and I, I it was not a reveal. Now, exactly that being that being said, what I feel like was the overall, uh, what this film was trying to say, I guess, I actually kind of liked and I liked the way it ended. I didn't like the absence of the reveal when the film thought it was having a big ta-da moment and it wasn't. It was like, well, yeah, I knew that. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, because to me, something that I'll hit on was, um, the exploration of guilt as a singular force that eats away at you. We've mentioned bacon has a past that others know about. It's not like he's, you know, done something really bad and it's just eating away at him, but he knows other people know, this past and it's troubling him and he can't get away from it. And there's some, you know, you learn a little bit more. They do kind of dribble out some things about his past, but um, about how sometimes it's impossible to escape. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. So I, I really liked that aspect of it. And without spoiling anything, I can't, okay. <laughs> but for me, it actually, yeah. it actually was. It worked for you. It worked. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, think, I thought it was a little, I, I felt it was a little muddied, but that was, I don't know. Uh, again, I'm not somebody who needs it clarified and super sharp at the end, but I felt like this was a, maybe a little, a little too loose for interpretation. Uh, anyway, considering that there's other characters in the town that seem to have some different takes on it. And it just, it, <laughs> if you really start thinking it through, I felt like it kind of, it didn't hold up as well, but again, well, uh, yeah. I have as a, str- a strength in my notes, actually. Um, the awareness of the town of the house and the visitors yeah. it would have and kind of how they react and kind of, you know, more or less kind of standoffish to it. Um, I found that interesting, but depending on, yeah, it, it worked for me, you know, in a way. 
<laughs> Chris, let me ask you, I mean, sure. I guess, you know, we've been missing the obvious question anybody would ask with a horror film. Did you find it scary? I didn't really find it scary. Yeah. I, I, I was a little disappointed with not granted. I'm fine with it. Cause I'm not a big, I don't deal well with really Jump scary scares. movies, right. but I felt like this film was fairly tame, you know, on the horror side. It's and, more of like um, a psychological dramatic yeah. movie with a little bit of a mystery, but not really. Cause I think the way they present it kind of ruins the mystery for you. But I think like the thing that I can hang my hat on was the original thing of the cinematography, the production, just the way they told the story. For instance, in some ways, it reminded me of a film we reviewed a couple of months ago. And I think it was I think it was prior to the whole COVID-19 and being in lockdown. But it was uh, Vivarium Mm -hmm. with Jesse Eisenberg. And that whole thing was about a neighborhood. They went to go and they ended up being trapped there and they couldn't leave. Um, And I was kind of ultimately I found the film kind of dissatisfying. And I think a lot of reasons was it was kind of ruined in the preview. A lot of the uniqueness and the unique visuals were kind of all thrown out there in the preview. And then once I got to the film, there wasn't a lot there Um, for you should have left. Maybe it's because I didn't really see a lot of previews, but in expectations again, but just something about it was able to sustain interest and it was able to keep me engaged. Even if I felt like some of it was a little predictable. So yeah, I didn't good. feel like I should have left <laughs> or should have turned it off. <laughs> well, again, I, I'm giving it a very lukewarm uh, recommendation. I mean, again, if I had gone to a traditional movie theater, paid full price, gone through all the, you know, dealing of, I mean, babysitters or, or if I needed, you know, my kids are old now, but I don't need babysitters. But if I had been in that situation where I, there was a lot of steps I had to take to get to the movie theater and to go see this, I probably would have come away a little disappointed. But overall, I think for the environment we're watching it in and the standards we have now for films that we see, um, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good passable piece of entertainment. Um, I, I, I wish the ending would have been a little little more satisfying to me. I wish the ending would have been a little sharper for me, but it's not like it worked better for you. Um, but outside of the ending, I mean, I think again, I like a good mystery film and uh, sure. don't go in expecting a big horror film. Cause I, I don't, I think that's, I think people going in maybe expecting it to be a scary film are going to be very disappointed mm-hmm. um, because it, it does have a few jump scares and a few moments that are a little, a uh, little more on the horror tinges to them, but uh, not much beyond that. So. I'd like, I'd like to give uh, some props to, because I think it, as we've talked about sometimes in the past, having young actors and casting young people, I think can be kind of a nightmare because, you know, it's hard for them to be believable or you cast like a cute little girl, like in this movie or a cute little boy, and then they can just be annoying and distractingly. So Um, Avery Essex, who plays Ella, their daughter, I thought was really good. Um, oh yeah, she was great. I she never took me out of the movie, which is something to be said for young actors that age. Normally, that would be the part that would pull me out of the film, but with her, it was very, very natural. I felt. I mean, and you even mentioned. I thought what was interesting the the question she posed early in the film about Daddy, are you going to die before Mom? Yeah, and it it sounded like the exact way a, a kid that age would ask that kind of question. And uh, so, yeah, I thought she was good. And there's a conversation between her and her mom out in kind of the woods where she's kind of like, what's up with dad? And why, why do people say these things about, and you know, the way she's even asking the questions, it's like a little kid would just be like throwing it all out there and be like, what's up? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'll have to give a shout out to her because I thought she was great. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. 
Well, that is, you should have left. I think both Chris and I are you know, positive on it uh, for what it is. Just sure. uh, I had a few caveats with it, a few issues, a few things that kind of left me from being a, an overall recommendation, uh, total recommendation. But I think in general, you know, hey, look, I know it's $20 to rent, which I mean, people are going to kind of balk at that. That is a high price to rent films these days, but you do get it for 48 hours. And in our situation, I had four people watch it. So, you know, we, that's, we made up for it at five bucks a head and that, that works really well that, with that kind of math. Um, just keep in mind, you know, if somebody's at home by themselves, why didn't want to watch a movie? It's 20 bucks. It's a, it's a big pop of money for an hour and a half film. And, um, but I, I think, you know, if you enjoy some, a little more mystery, a little more uh, kind of a uh, little thriller element to it, not looking for something super scary, eh, it's probably a worthwhile film to kind of uh, spend some time on. So, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. That is, you should have left. Now, Chris, let's go ahead and flip over to another film that also made its premiere online because again, uh, could not make it to the movie theaters. Uh, this one uh, didn't really get released as a big ticket $20 video on demand thing. This is one you can still rent now for just, you know, three or $4. Uh, but it is a film with a actress that I know Chris, you and I are big fans of, and we've talked about quite a bit, Miss Elizabeth Moss. And she's actually starring with an actor that I think you and I are both high on have been in the past, Mr. Michael Stuhlberg. And that film is Shirley. To our suffering, my dear. There's not enough scotch in the world for that. (laughs) Shirley, what are you writing now? A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. (laughs) Well, you were invited to stay here for a few days until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. I read your story. What are you doing in here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? What are you up to? That girl, what do you think? Tried and a bit trashy, but uh, give it a go. I like you, Rosie. Can I trust you? I feel like we're in the Scottish play. On the verge of madness. What will? Happen. See your secret looks. Freud would have had a field day. I'm counting down from three. Three, two, one. In Shirley, we follow a famous horror writer, a true story, uh, an actual person, Shirley Jackson, who in this film is played by Elizabeth Moss. Uh, she's a horror writer who's very well known. She's written a lot of short stories and even a few novels. I believe the haunting on uh, uh, the haunting of Hill House is that the one that's kind of her probably most uh, well known uh, uh, novel. Yeah, and um, this uh, film finds her trying to get inspiration for her next book uh, along the same time that she and her husband, as we mentioned, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, taking in a young couple. Um, and this is a film that covers a very specific period of time in uh, this writer's life. I'm looking really a lot more at her home life and uh, relationship with her husband, as well as the relationship she forms with the young woman of this couple that comes to live with them for a what seems to be a pretty extended period of time. The director is Josephine Decker. Uh, the only film I'm, I'm familiar with, I've never seen, is uh, that she has done 
is Madeline's Madeline. Um, but this uh, Josephine Decker is also an actress who's been in a lot of work on her own. So not a prolific director, although she's done quite a few uh, TV projects and other things. But um, Chris, the question for me to ask you looking at this film, we're both big fans of Elizabeth Moss. We've talked about her in several uh, film roles lately. Your Smell uh, being one that we both were big fans of her performance. Uh, then we also both liked uh, both liked her in The Invisible Man. Thought she did really well with that. And then, of course, tons of other films she's been in we've talked about. Um, but, you know, it kind of comes back to the question of this is a biopic film. I mean, it is a real person. Granted, it's not a life story, but it is a what I'm guessing is a one year period of time if I had to kind of guess at the, at the range of time. Um, and we always ask the same question when we're looking at biopics, Chris is would this have been better served as a documentary or was there enough with Shirley, the film to warrant the dramatic telling that we've got with the actors that we're big fans of. And I'm going to ask you a second question, not to overload you here, Chris, but you know, see if you can address both of them when you give me your, your answer. Sure. Given given that we just reviewed a film, a horror film, quote, horror film called You Should Have Left, even though this film is not a horror film, but it's about a horror writer, did it scare you more than You Should Have Left? And I'm, mm-hmm. sure, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about why I even asked that question later in the review. So go. Sure. Uh, I want to hear from you. So, yeah, I am glad that they did kind of a slice what apparently is like a year in the life of uh, Shirley Jackson, her husband, and the couple that comes to stay with them. That did make a good framing device for the film. Uh, They didn't try to give Shirley Jackson's background, her growing up, and what trauma she might have had, and why she is the way she is. She's a very interesting person (laughs) Uh, in the film. Kind of reclusive, difficult um, very intelligent with a sharp, like biting wit, but also just kind of all over the place emotionally, emotionally and psych- psychologically. She just seems she has some issues, um, but it made it interesting. And I could see how for some it could be frustrating that they don't show a lot of why um, and her relationship with her husband. You see them at this point where she is aware that he is unfaithful to her. That is not a mystery to her. She's aware of that. He still loves her. He still, you know, comes and tries to take care of her, make sure she gets out of bed sometimes, says that he thinks that she's one of the greatest writers ever. So seemingly still cares for her, doesn't want her to die or anything. Um, But yeah, it's just a very odd relationship and they don't bother explaining that, which for me works. Um, You comment on how did I take it as maybe kind of a thriller a horror well, movie. Horror movie, really. <laughs> horror, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of horrific uh, relationship that she is in to me. And just some of the things that happen with uh, the couple is expecting a child. And um, some of the things that revolve around that. Yeah, and you're just – and some of the ending shots of the movie and where that goes, you're just kind of like, whoa, what what's about to happen here? There's – the way this movie is constructed too, Shirley seems to be kind of – she is working or trying to work on a book, but it seems like she's had kind of a, a stagnant period. Hasn't really been able to find inspiration, maybe has had a little bit more depression and kind of withdrawnness maybe than is normal. And the husband's trying to get her back in gear and get her motivated. One of the things he does is he brings in this young couple that ends up, like you mentioned, kind of staying with him for a while. And she kind of gets an idea 
the girl that stays there, she mentions that there's this person that's gone missing. And then Shirley picks up on that and then kind of becomes obsessed with that idea. And that ends up generating a lot of ideas for her book. So, but still, you're kind of unclear. The young person kind of suggests maybe your husband had something to do with it. You know? um, yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was some, some moments in the film that I'm, I'm still just trying to process the, well, I think I understand why they were trying to do that. Um, sure. You know, this is, I, I mean, well, did you like it? I, I you know, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a general, yeah, I, I did like it. Um, I won't say it was a perfect film or anything, yeah, but I did like it. What were your, what are your responses? Well, no, I, I liked it too. And I, I didn't like it as much from a story or plot standpoint, cause it didn't have much of one. And even when there did try to be a little bit of a plot to it, I, I think you mentioned one of the moments where it was kind of a, an implication was trying to be made about the husband that I don't feel like really kind of came out of left field a little bit. So the, the plot and the story, I don't think were the strongest aspects of this. What I did like about this film, um, I love the way it was depicted. I, I think, you know, I, it grabbed me pretty early on. There's a scene right when this couple is arriving at, Shirley and her husband's house for the first time. And there's kind of a big party gathering going on and they're arriving for their very first time. And it's a very happy, joyous type of occasion, but yet the way it's shot and the sound effects that are used with people like kind of darting into the frame past them in a kind of a loud rushing noise, like a horror film would have trying oh, yeah. to really like shock you. Um, it was pretty crazy. So and once that started happening, I realized, okay, so yes, this isn't a horror film, but it's about a horror writer. And we are kind of tiptoeing into her, her brain a bit. We're tiptoeing into a little bit of how she perceives things. And I think when you start getting those, uh, those little tinges of horror moments in scenes that are not horror scene, film scenes at all, uh, it still adds just enough uh, tension to everything that it really kept me intrigued in the film. Even if the story I didn't always feel like it was really going anywhere uh, terribly interesting. The atmosphere it was creating in every scene was what really got me excited. Um, well, you, you mentioned the director um, mm -hmm. and Josephine Decker. I have had the chance to see Madeline's Madeline. And with that film, it wasn't, you know, based on a true story or anything, but it had a lot of the same, you know, style and camera movements and kind of some of the choices that you're talking about had a person, Madeline, who did mm -hmm. kind of have some psychological stuff going on, um, some personality things. Um, but I found it ultimately a little dissatisfying because I didn't feel like there was enough story yeah. or enough depth in the characters. Whereas with this film, I think her style was a perfect match to trying to give you an atmosphere of what it was like in Shirley Jackson's house during this for this year. And even though, you know, story-wise, you're not getting a lot of plot points, but just kind of an atmospheric film, the combination of that, did it It did work for me. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I, it did it for me as well. So overall, I did, and I did appreciate this film. I did like it. Um, I think Elizabeth I'll Moss was good. Now, I, I don't think this is the best role I've seen her do. I mean, I think this is she seemed to be kind of custom made for this role, especially after seeing her in her smell. This is yes. like a much, much more, 
uh, you know, not the loud outrageous, but still that seething frustration or anger or hatred at times you may pick up from. So she's got that down pat. There's no doubt sure. about that. The role I thought was really just and kind of in, in a, in a, in a creepy way to watch was fun to watch with Michael Stuhlberg. I thought he oh, was yeah. really, he was awesome. really good in this movie. He is a character that he probably unnerved me more than Elizabeth Moss, surely. Um, because again, you kind of alluded to the fact that we learned early on, you know, his, his relationship with Shirley, this very open relationship that he seems mm-hmm. to have kind of put them in. And, but yet, Oh man, every time he entered a scene, you just never quite knew where he was going and you never quite knew what his next move was going to be or his next words. So I actually found him to be more exhilarating to watch than even, even uh, Elizabeth Moss character was. Um, so yes, those two, I liked watching them play off each other. I thought they did a great job together as a couple. Um, Absolutely. I think they, they, they were both powerful performances and, you can see how they are each other's match um, because he can put her in her place, but she can also put him in his place and they kind of admire each other for that. And it's like, Shirley needs Stanley, her husband, because he is somewhat functional Um, and because he does recognize her talent and is willing to put up with her idiosyncratic nature. You know, she likewise, you know, it's like, and then he values her because he says she's the one with the true talent here. And he knows he has to keep her around and knows. So it's like they balance each other perfectly, but I will give you, I guess, because we've seen Moss do the musician and her smell and we've seen her be kind of difficult before. Mm -hmm. So seeing her be difficult in this movie, it's like, well, yeah, we know she can do that. What seems to be, I would agree kind of a little bit more challenging is Stuhlbarg because he has to somehow, like, we know Shirley's just being unlikable. And it's like, okay. But Stuhlbarg has this, like, layer, this veneer of being nice to certain people and flattering at certain times. But then you can kind of see underneath that, no, you're a jerk because all you are is just manipulating people. But the way it's it's kind of an interesting, you know, performance that he gives. And I, I will say <laughs> some of the things that, yeah, there's not a strict, like you're saying, plot or something, but there are scene standouts. And the one that immediately comes to mind, which we haven't even mentioned, the names of the the minor characters, the couple that comes. It's Odessa Young, which is the first time I'd seen her, but Logan Lerman, who plays the husband, um, I'd seen him in several things before. So it was kind of, there's a scene, it's a dinner table scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, Stanley reviews the young man, his name's Fred, reviews his doctoral like thesis work at a dinner table. And he's, you know, trying to be getting or trying to get positions at the college that Stanley's working at. And you, he's gotten one. You think, oh, this is going to be him saying, you know, congratulations. I think it was kind of supposed to be kind of a congratulations oh, dinner. Oh, they came in and he's singing his praises about him teaching at the class and they came in and there's dancing and it's this whole big thing. And then they sit down for dinner and And Stanley just guts the thing just And then surely the interesting, she, as you know, he critiques her work, which she's made reference to. And she just sits there with this look on her face and she's like, yep, he's going at it. He's doing what he does. And then when they get upset, she's kind of like, oh, don't worry. This isn't the first. You're not the first person yeah. to receive this honor. Yeah. He did. But, you know, it's wow. just it is brutal, but it is it is powerful. 
Um, I'll give their yeah, three no, other I scenes. I, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say there, you know, so scene standouts in a movie, you know, there was that one. There's one where Shirley and Rose discuss mushrooms out in the mm-hmm. forest. Uh, that was mm-hmm. a good scene. There's a mountaintop scene with Shirley and Rose. And then there's a scene where Stanley's off camera and he is reviewing the new oh. work that Shirley has been able yeah. to come up with. I thought that scene and you was see really him kind well of in the done. background and you hear him and you see Elizabeth Moss face the whole time. And that, you know, ends up being some of the final shots of the movie. Just really. Well, well her performance in that final scene you just described, watching her face as she's waiting for responses and trying to, it was really good. And then the release she had when she actually got kind of the feedback, uh, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, it was good. No, there were some great scenes. And, uh, there was also, I'll add one more with a stoolbark scene as, as the husband. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Odessa Young is cooking in the kitchen and someone who you think is her husband's coming up and kind of like nestling in her neck a little bit. And when you come to find out it's it's not her husband, uh, just the uncomfortableness. And Michael Stuhlbarg played it so well, just making someone oh, yeah. who's, who you, you know this person can be the life of a party. And we see him being in the life of the party at several parties. But you also just know that he is incredibly manipulative and incredibly um, um, takes takes joy in the dismantling of people. And uh, man, so good. So yeah, the the movie. Yeah, like I said, not a lot in the plot category. I do think you know I've read some other reviews after I watched the film, and that seems to be kind of the pick, takeaway. Some people have cr- issues with the film; they just feel like it doesn't really go anywhere, it doesn't really do anything. And I think, yeah, if you're watching for a story, you want to learn more about Shirley Jackson's style of writing. You want to learn about her history. You're not going to get a lot of that from this. You're getting truly an an environment, an atmosphere film of what it's like in her, not only in her head, but in her surroundings for this year period of time. And I think in that regard, it does really, really well. Um, have Have you ever seen Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I have not. Okay. I have not. That's You've recommended the, it on the podcast. I, I have. And that's probably the film that reminded me this of this the most. Because you want to talk about a film that is all about a couple. In, in the case of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, this is a couple that's kind of had major challenges all their, their time together and are kind of at a descent in their marriage. And they're having a couple over for a dinner. And it just goes horribly, horribly wrong for those guests. Very much, uh, you get a little of those same t- touches in Shirley, that uncomfortableness of, hey, we've invited you in your house and everything looks good, but oh, wait, here's some, here's some complications. Here's some issues. Oh, we need you to stay longer because we need your help with this. Very, very similar. So I think they definitely, I don't know if this story was completely fictionalized for the film, this idea of a couple living with them for an extended period of time or not. Um, But it did give us a great outsider's view coming in uh, to this, this, these two individuals and their relationship. Well, I think something I admired again about the the film was that they didn't start off saying based on a true story or giving you like, you know, any type and they didn't end it with saying Shirley Jackson then went on to write that like they don't give you any of that stuff. And I appreciate that because I did do a little bit of digging around um, I'm not sure, you know, the film was based on a novel that had been written. Okay. Um, so, and I'm not sure what liberties that novel, you know, didn't say about, bi- you know, a biography that was written about it. it was actually a novel, maybe kind of guessing at some of the things that could have been informing Shirley Jackson. Um, something else was that 
she and Stanley did have children, um, yeah. had like three or four children. And there are no children in this movie. Of, thank goodness. <laughs> there's, not really any, there's not even really any mention of children. I mean, they, they no. don't allude to it at all. Um, I did now, read. Shirley makes but, comments about how like, you know, oh, you're bringing a child and let's hope for a boy because women are not treated well. Like she makes comments, but she, yeah, never, never addresses like wanting to have children. Or anything. That is one thing I will say about the film. And again, I think the film should be reviewed on its own merit. And I think we've done a good job of doing that. But just to be kind of completely open, I mean, in a little bit of my reading about the film afterwards too, the family of Shirley Jackson, her fam, her kids, grandkids are, are very, very upset with the film, oh. very upset with the story. Because they do feel like it took a very, very small slice of their mom's time hmm. and made that kind of be who she is. Where uh, they I said, see. You know, she was also very, according to them, of course, very warm, very funny, a lot more life of the party. We got a little bit of that humor, not really life of the party, but a little bit more of that outgoing personality early in the film during the very first time we see her. She's still standoffish. She's still very kind of biting but she's at least entertaining people around her and seems to be like sure. somewhere a little more of an element. I think there was more just some issues with the family that the, the film really just solely dwelled on a, a several month period of time where she might've been in a low spot and uh, was a little unfair depiction wise. So I think that just needed to be said, but uh, again, I, I think you, you evaluate the film on its, on its own as a piece of work. And for that, again, I, I'm not giving it high marks, for plot and story necessarily, I'm giving it high marks because of the atmosphere, the environment, the filmmaking style around this telling of the story. So sure. And I yeah, thought the acting gonna... was also really strong all the way across. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I think we're on the same page with Shirley. Yeah. Good. Well, that is Shirley. It is available on all the online uh, rental streaming markets for rent right now. And both Chris and I are recommending it, especially if you're a fan of Elizabeth Moss or Michael Stuhlberg. I think you'd have a really good time with this film. And if you have any interest in, uh, you know, especially Shirley Jackson, if you're familiar with her work or curious about any of her, her personal life, this does focus on a very, very specific short uh, period of time in her life, but obviously one that uh, had some interesting intrigue behind it. So with that, Chris, I think we're done with our two reviews. We are going to take a little break. Uh, when we come back though, in just a moment, we are going to do a little bit of news, but mainly focus on some films that we want to ex talk about that are either in production or coming out soon that we are curious about based on what we're reading and hearing. It's the, these could be good segment of our show followed by at the very end of the show, we'll be giving out our recommendations of films to check out uh, for this episode. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films. Stay tuned. We will be right back. This is Karen from Time Genies. We know time is our most precious commodity, so let Time Genies help you with tasks such as home organizing, small business cleaning, relocation services, and lots more. My team of high-quality and trusted professionals is your one-stop shop for your personal and corporate needs. Let us help you reduce stress and give you time to do the things you want to do, making memories. Check the Time Genies website for more info. Go to www.time-genies.com. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. 
Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. This is Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Just with you, we uh, just finished our reviews of Shirley and uh, You Should Have Left, right? Yes. You Should Have Left is the name of the film. It's, it's an odd title, so it's just one I have to it remember is. I have to say correctly. And uh, both positive on both films, although Shirley, I think we were both uh, much more uh, unanimous on the strengths of that film and something we would definitely recommend. Chris, I also just mentioned our titles as being uh, co-directors of the Foot Candle Film Festival, which is coming up uh, here relatively soon. At the time of this recording, we are about, gosh, what are we? Are we uh, three months away? Yeah. Uh, yeah, months September. Away, so again. Three months away from the uh, festival. Uh, this year's is the sixth annual Foot Candle Film Festival being held in the town of Hickory in Western North Carolina. Um, we are going to be bringing in some really great films. We've been going through some film submission processes with our committees over the last several months, and we're really excited about the festival. Chris, it is running from September 23rd through the 27th. That's correct. Yep. So Wednesday, Wednesday night, Wednesday through, Sunday, through, night, Sunday. Wednesday through yeah. Sunday, we will be having films and film activities going on throughout that time. Uh, and then the announcement of films, not only the schedule of films, but the format of the film festival and everything else will be announced in uh, the latter half of July. So we do encourage you to kind of visit our website, footcandlefilmfestival.com to stay abreast of that. And Chris, I don't think I told you this, but we actually, I put a little place on the website that if you go there now, uh, there's a little box where you can put in your email address if you want to be kept informed about when the tickets go on sale and films are announced. So if you just want to make sure that you get an email from us saying, hey, it's uh, the schedule's been announced and the tickets are on sale, you can go to footcandlefilmfestival.com right now and actually put your email address in there and we'll make sure you stay in touch and we get you notified whenever that happens. So, great. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Chris, are we ready to move on to some news? Talking movie yes. news here. Uh, you know, normally this time we like to talk about news of kind of what's happening, maybe films that are being announced or being released. But, uh, you know, theaters are still closed at the time of this recording. Uh, we've seen the movies, the big movie that was going to be the one that kicked off the theaters opening back up, Tenet, um, got moved again. So it's now moved from July 17th to July 31st and now to August 12th. We'll see if it stays there or not. Uh, Mulan is like the last big budget film that's still scheduled to be released in July, but I got a feeling it's probably going to get moved to, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see what happens there, but let's, let's not focus on the negatives, Chris. Let's talk about what could be some interesting <laughs> film projects we're hearing about in our segment sure. we call this could be good question mark. And Chris, I think we have three films to kind of dig into. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about the first one, uh, that we're interested in here. Sure. So um, coming up, we, everybody probably has heard, unless you've been living under a rock or you didn't listen to a news segment on a previous episode, but, you know, July 3rd, Hamilton's coming out. Everybody's heard about that by now on Disney Plus. Big deal. It came out, you know, something like 15 months early. It wasn't released. Well, sounds like in the, you know, the flow of maybe musicals will be a thing again because they're going to make a film version of Dear Evan Hansen. Um, I think it is going to act. It's going to be an actual, it's not just going to be a, 
recording of a performance. It's actually going to be a movie. It's going to be an adaptation of the play. Okay. Uh, Caitlin Beaver, who played one of the girls in Booksmart, mm-hmm. she's going to star as Zoe, one of the lead girls in Dear Evan Hansen. And it has been rumored that Ben Platt, who got his big break as Evan Hansen on Broadway, but now he's gone on and done other things. But they're saying that he is in talks, at least, to be come back and reprise his role as Evan Hansen. Hmm. Um, guy who wrote the book for the stage musical, Steve Levinson, he's going to be writing the script, so adapting it, you know, for the film. And uh, Stephen Chbosky, who did Perks of Being a Wallflower and directed or directed Perks of Being a Wallflower and Wonder, he's going to be a capable director, not like a nobody or whatever. He's going to be he's going to be directing. So. I'm I'm a fan of Dear Evan Hansen, so I'm excited to uh, get to see a movie version of it. I haven't actually seen the play. I've just heard the music because my daughter's a musical freak mm-hmm. and loves musicals. But I really like the music, so I'm excited to see a film version of it. And got to admit, I really hope Ben Platt is the one who does Evan Hansen because that just makes it... I mean, I'm sure whoever they would choose, it would be good anyway. But the fact that he could be in the role that makes it sound like it could be good. Yeah. So I'm excited. What do you think? I, I, I will have to totally ride on your coattails with this one. Cause I, I don't know anything about the play, the music, anything. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just along for the ride, Chris, when the film comes <laughs> out, I will check it out and go from it with a, with a fresh slate there. But um, no, that's great. I mean, I do think there is an interesting market for, how Broadway films are adapted to film. And you know, sure. we've seen it handled so many different ways before we've seen the dramatic retelling kind of with actors and doing it different ways. Hamilton of course is going to be an actual recording of the stage performance. Um, I think we have the debacle, we have the debacle that was cats, which I have not seen, but I have not either. So, you know, but from what I hear it, it didn't go well. So yeah, it's, sure. it's been a little hit or miss on the uh, Broadway adaptation side of things. But, um, but Chris, you know more about this than I do. You seem excited. So I'm going to take that as a good sign and we'll see what happens with it. So, okay. So, uh, dear, dear Evan Hansen going to a film uh, produ- production uh, pretty soon here. Um, so I've got one, a, a film that I think could be good that I'm curious mm-hmm. about. And actually this one, we don't have to wait very long for. It's actually going to be on Netflix in September. This is a film that was supposed to have a theatrical release, but obviously they opted now to just release it to Netflix and sell the rights to Netflix for a September release. Um, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. I, I like the various tellings of the Sherlock Holmes story. Um, maybe the Robert Downey Jr. one withstanding that one never really did much for me, but I will say the, um, I'm a big fan of the BBC series, the more modern day Sherlock. I've liked some of the original text, you know, the Sir Conan Doyle are, um, creation books and kind of tellings in that, of that time period. So uh, this film has got me a little excited because it's got a great cast. I'm really excited to see what they do with it. Um, Millie Bobby Brown who you may know from Stranger Things, and she was also in the last Godzilla film. Uh, she is starring as Enola Holmes in the film Enola Holmes, which is about the sister of Sherlock Holmes. So there was a series of books by Nancy Springer that actually introduced Enola Holmes as Sherlock Holmes's um, sister. 
and a younger sister. And so it's going to be played by Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, Sherlock Holmes in the film is going to be played by Henry Cavill, or Superman. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which I thought was yeah. an interesting choice. And then Helena Bonham Carter is going to be starring as Eudora Holmes, mm-hmm. which is their mother. And interesting. The, yeah, it is going to take place in the 19th century. So it is very, okay. you know, uh, period specific, not trying to modernize it at all. And uh, my understanding is the storyline is that from the book as well is that the mother, Enola, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Eudoria Holmes goes missing and Enola mm. Holmes is kind of uh, charged with trying to track her down. Um, hmm. I think it sounds really interesting just because, of course, I like the premise. I like uh, I like Sherlock Holmes in general. I like this a little bit of a unique take on it. Um, the only thing that's a little concerning is that the parties that are associated with the Enola Holmes movie and books are facing a lawsuit from the author Conan Doyle estate at the moment. And mm. it's a little unclear whether that's going to have any impact on the release date or not. So that always makes wow. me a little nervous when you hear that the original source material author and their family is not quite hip on the idea of a, a film being made out of this material, unless it's just all of a rights and money thing. I don't know, but. Something that boggles my mind though is how did it get this far? It's not like it was in production. No, it's made. Yeah, like, it's, it's a done, done deal. It's a, it's a, there are production stills there. Are, I think it's trailer yeah. coming out soon. So it's a done deal. Um, so how did it get this far without them having, it seems like the type of thing that would be secured no. prior to this happening. Unless it's but, just lawsuits have been going on for a really long time and, you know, she's um, it forever. I don't know. Anyway, I'm intrigued. I mean, I think Millie Bobby Brown, I, you know, I think she's good in Stranger Things. I, I think I haven't really seen her do anything else outside of Stranger Things that really impressed me, but I think she is a good actress and I'm excited to see her kind of take the lead in a film like this. And uh, yeah, I, I think it could be good. Don't know. Yeah. Excited there's some it. potential there. Yeah. So one, one final question. I don't know if you'll be able to answer it, but from the way you were describing it, it sounds like, this was just a standalone film. It wasn't a Netflix production from out of the gate. So the intention was that it was going to be a theatrical, big time theatrical release. And now Netflix is both her. It's been sold the rights and now it will be. Okay. Correct. So it, that makes me. It is a film, not makes, a series or anything. Yes. Sure. And it was always, so that, you know, that can relieve a little, maybe like worry that I have sometimes where it was like, you know, I like Netflix. I use it. We've reviewed movies here on the show. But if something from out of the gate was always supposed to be a Netflix production, specifically, I'm thinking about, you know, Coffee and Kareem. I'll throw that under the bus again. But it's like they're just worried about creating content and their quantity, not necessarily quality all the time. Sure. So if this if this was coming out from the out of the gate as a Netflix production, I might be a little leery of it. But it sounds like that wasn't the case. So yeah, it, it, it could be was good. not. It was intended for theaters for sure. So all right, okay. cool. All right. Well, what's the third and final film, Chris? That could be good for us to talk about. Sure, sure. So um, Pablo Lorraine, who directed Jackie, which was the biography about you know Jack Jackie Onassis, Jackie O. Kennedy, um, which was well reviewed. Uh, Portman got a Oscar nomination, I believe, for her role. Well, it's been announced that he's now going to make a movie about Princess Diana called Spencer. Mm. And Kristen Stewart has been announced as to be the person playing Diana Spencer. 
So um, I'm interested. I think Pablo Lorraine has an interesting visual eye with how he does movies. I know he's capable of doing biopics and providing, you know, insights into characters. I don't really know a whole lot about uh, Diana Spencer. So um, I'm curious. And Kristen Stewart, Alan, what's your what's your takedown on uh, K-Stew? How do you feel about her? I mean, I think she's a I think she's a very talented actress who's made some really, really interesting choices. I have not seen her in a film where I really was a fan of the film. Okay. okay. So just to throw that out there, I know she's a talented actress. I think I've seen her in parts that I could tell. Yep. She's, she's really good. She's, she's got the chops. I just, I can't think of a film that she was in that I said that was a really good film that also featured a really good performance by her. And you would be saying different if you'd seen all the Twilight movies, because obviously all of those are good movies. So Yes, that is correct. <laughs> you have stated an actual fact there. No, I, I never saw any of the Twilight films, and I have no... You're fortunate. So. Yeah. And, you know, I was a little intrigued to see the latest Charlie Angels film, just because I thought it kind of like it might be a little different, didn't supposedly do very well. I still may try to check it out. Um and I will say also, I'm not up on her more independent work. Like she did Personal Shopper. Um, mm-hmm. There's another one. I'm not drawing. The she did Clouds of Sils Maria. Yeah, um, that's it. I haven't seen those. So um, I know she's a good actress. I'm excited. I think it's a it's a really bold move putting her in that that role. Um, oh yeah. Now, I don't know if, how the I don't know how uh, England and Britain and <laughs> the monarchy. I don't know how they feel about it, but. Probably yeah, much it's the interesting. same way New England felt about, you know, Jackie when it came out too. So it yeah, was a, you know, it was a very non-traditional storytelling approach to her as a character. And I think if they go right. something very interesting with, with Spencer and with uh, Princess Diana, uh, I'm on board for it. I'm, I'm curious, like you, even though we grew up, we grew up with the Royal wedding. We grew up with the Princess Diana. I still remember the night. I remember she died and you know, it, yeah. what I was doing that night. I, uh, I still don't feel like I know her as much. So anything, uh, if if we get to learn as much as we did about Jackie with the film, Jackie, then I'm on board. I think it's a great, because I did like the film, Jackie. I thought it was really good. And I thought um, very, very interesting, uh, a take on a well-known story, well-known person. I'm looking for that same kind of approach here and be very excited about that. So good. Mm. So three films we feel like could all be good. Now, granted, this is filmmaking, okay? Chris, you and I can, if we had a dollar for every time we heard a film that sounded great on paper with the right cast and crew and director and premise and turned out to be really, really bad, uh, we would we would not need to be making a podcast right now. We would be, <laughs> but um, unfortunately, that's what happens. You know, you have the best intentions. These are three films that look like they could be good, but we will obviously want to wait and see and we will review them. I'm sure when they come out and be talking about them, if they worked or not. So now Chris, let's talk about some films that we do know worked for us, because obviously these are the films that are our recommendations of the episode. Every time we get together, Chris and I are tasked with coming up with a film that we could honestly recommend to the audience for one reason or another. And the idea has always been that a film that you could find online. Well, lo and behold, that's pretty much all the films we have to recommend these days are ones you're going to find online. So that's makes sure. our job a little bit easier right now. So Chris, if it's okay, I'm going to go first because you did the sure. last bit of news and uh, sure. let me give my recommendation. Then I'll kick it over to you. Okay. Um, the film I'm going to recommend, 
I would be lying if I said my reason for recommending this didn't have anything to do with the current state of affairs in our country. There is something to be said for that. And I will say it was the reason I pressed play on watching this film in the first place. Uh, the film is... Is it idiocracy? A little bit. I'm going the opposite direction. This okay. is the film, The American President, directed ah. by Rob Reiner, written by um, uh, Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin, screenplay by Aaron Sorkin. Um, widowed U.S. President Andrew Shepard, who's, of course, one of the most world's most powerful men, uh, decides that he wants to enter a relationship with a lobbyist that he uh, works with, uh, Sydney Ellen Sydney Ellen Wade, who is played by, um, oh my gosh, I just completely spaced out on her name, uh, Annette Benning. I'm sorry, um, but obviously, as you would expect, you know, a, a sitting president who is a widow uh, starting a relationship also sparks rumors and approval ratings and everything else going into an election cycle. Now, I will say you recommended not too long ago a film that I had recommended even further back, Molly's Game, which was not only written by Aaron Sorkin, but also directed by Mr. Sorkin. This, right. this film, not directed by Aaron Sorkin. He just has credits for uh, writing on the film. Um, so I will say it's pretty, it's pretty obvious to me that you know, he didn't direct this, and it was directed by someone who I think has a much, much lighter, glossier touch over his films, Rob Reiner. Um, not someone I can say I'm a huge fan of Rob Reiner's films. I think they're overall fairly easy. Uh, they're fairly safe in the way they go. They, they don't take a lot of chances in their filmmaking style. And that's the case with The American President. This is a super, super safe, friendly movie. Um, however, it is Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. If you were a fan of The West Wing, the TV show that Aaron Sorkin produced and wrote for, this is almost like a pilot for that show because he did this movie before The West Wing became a TV show. And obviously his vision of what the American president should be and who they should be, while also giving him a human personality. I'll just say it was refreshing to see today, <laughs> uh, 2020. <laughs> um it's not as sharp a film as Molly's Game. Uh, it doesn't take as many chances. It is super, super safe, but it is also a very sweet film. Uh, it does have some interesting things to say about the role of the president and kind of that public persona that the president has to has to uh, take on. Uh, and then the question is a really good one. If you've got a president who should be focused on running the country and you find that he's now involved in dating someone, and someone who's also got some political leanings in one way or another, you know, you think about that in today's political climate, and that would be a recipe for opposition to try to take them down and try to use that against them in any kind of election process. So sure. it could have gone deeper, but I think overall it was a good, fun film to watch. It also had Michael J. Fox in it as kind of the press secretary who I always like Michael J. Fox. And I think this is like one of the last roles he really played before his health started deteriorating more. And he, he stepped away from the limelight more. So overall I'm recommending the American president. I think it was a uh, fine film. I think I saw it on, I don't remember which platform I saw it on. It might've been Hulu or somewhere that was streaming for free, but you can also rent it on iTunes or Amazon just as easy as well. Have you ever seen the film, Chris? 
I don't think so. Yeah. Um, it's I feel like I've seen, gonna, I've definitely seen scenes, but I don't yeah. think I've seen the whole thing. It's not one that's going to stick with you for a long time. Again, it goes down pretty, pretty syrupy sweet by the end. But um, again, I think given, given uh, the world and given the news and all that, I was just looking for a little return to some normalcy uh, on, on the screen. And I got that for close to two hours. So, all right, Chris, what is your recommendation for this episode? So um, I am embarrassed to admit that I have never seen Groundhog Day, except oh my I God. have seen it now. <laughs> I had no idea you had never seen Groundhog so Day. It's, it falls into those categories where I've heard people reference it. I've definitely seen scenes, you know, the Ned Ryerson GIF all over the yeah. internet, you know. But I had never actually sat down and probably walked in and out of rooms when TBS was playing it in college and just didn't pay any attention to it. But no, I I have finally seen it and I like it. <laughs> Surprise. It's a um, good movie. It is a good movie. And I think, you know, there again, I, it comes back to, you know, imagine a world where every day seems the same. Hmm, maybe quarantine. So, but taking lessons from that, and even though every day may see the same, what's something that you can do to try to make someone else's life just a little bit better? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, you know, obviously is a message in the movie. This guy who's Bill Murray, you know, he's the newsman. He's really jaded and negative is all selfish. And of course, what would happen? But by the end, he kind of is more about helping other people and not just for self-serving reasons. But no, he's actually generally trying to help other people in this small town where, of course, he has to go see the groundhog come out. Hence the name of the movie. Um but yeah, I, I liked it. Um, was it, you know, Oscar winning material? Well, no, it's a comedy. It was done by Harold Ramis, you know, and, you know, Bill Murray, you know, mugging from the ca- mugging for the camera and just being Bill Murray. Well, yes, but I liked it. It was good. It was a nice escape and, you know, kind of a reminder of the hallmark moments in life and how, you know, sometimes just doing the little things to help out other people is is a good thing. So uh, um, that's my recommendation from way back in 1993, Groundhog Day. I'm glad you're finally rectifying that and finally r- recommending the film. Uh, I think, I, I think, uh, I think you you may not be giving it even as much credit as it deserves because I do think it's a really smart film, and I think especially at the time it came out, I think it was pretty. I think the script alone was really. Like hot, high caliber for a comedy, and it was just high well, concept. I had a lot to say. Um, very, very interesting film. So, well, and you're and you're right. I think you know a lot of people go around and they'll talk about even if they don't talk about you know necessarily the acting or something, or even you know the direction, which is fun. But people really give a lot of kudos to the script because it's just really well written. When you think about a film that basically has to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, and it's not like this isn't a short film. I mean, this is a it's a feature length film. It's 101 minutes. So to be able to do that and, you know, find ways to work within that frame for work, it's a it's a really good idea. And this is coming from somebody who, you know, really liked movies like memento or things like that that were really original in their genre and took you know interesting ways to lock you know lock this idea down and yeah groundhog day was kind of an original like kind of making a twilight zone comedy type thing you yeah. know yeah. so um yeah i will say um we did not i'm not recommending i'm recommending groundhog day but i'm just going to throw out there for people um if you liked groundhog day which i did 
But one of the reasons I wanted to see it is because there's a film coming out on Hulu called Palm Springs, and it's with Andy Samberg, and Lonely Island is a producer on it. It's a comedy, and it looks to be very, 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 very similar to Groundhog Day. Hmm. Um, so I, we didn't do a trailer topus this time, but I would recommend if you're in, if you liked Groundhog Day, you like Andy Samberg and Lonely Island, check out the trailer for uh, Palm Springs. Wow, I wasn't so. even aware that trailer had come out, so I'm going to check that out post haste. Um, Groundhog Day, I do love the film. I think it's really, really smart comedy film. And I think it's Bill Murray probably at his smarmiest. And I I, I think he's just got some great moments. I know Ghostbusters is the one where I can probably quote the most lines from him. But Groundhog Day is probably the performance I like the most of his, especially midway through the film when things are just he's just really enjoy you know, trying to revel in his newfound <laughs> status. And uh, it's great. Right. The one thing I will say, uh, I think that keeps it from getting a higher star rating for me on letterbox, Andy McDowell. Oh man, <laughs> man. She's, she's just, she's tough. She's honestly, tough. She's, uh, honestly, I think she's, I think she's miscast. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. And I, I think yeah. I think she struggles in some of this material, especially in the comedy. I think it's just, it's not her strong suit. I, I just feel like I'm watching her read cue cards most of the time in this film. And I think putting her up against Bill Murray, you're right. It, it was not fair. It is not, no. it is not a good place to put her. Uh, you can yeah. film like Sex, Lies, and Videotape that I know she made early. She was really good. And I think there's some other films I think of she was good in. This just is always a film that just her performance really was tough for me to swallow on this. Well, now there again, I think one of the other reasons I was interested in checking out the film, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but I think there was in the making of the film, there were some problems swirling around. I don't know if it was Ramis and Murray were not agreeing on the script, you know, like we're disagreeing about some stuff or Murray was being difficult to work with, or maybe Murray and McDowell weren't getting along. Like, yeah, yeah, but something I will say, yeah, you're right. Something about, I feel like maybe she was just miscast or there wasn't the chemistry that could have made this from being a good film to being like an amazing film. Something, you know, actually, until you mentioned it, I didn't think about it in exactly this way, but you brought up Ghostbusters. Think about if Sigourney Weaver had been in Andy McDowell's role, because I feel like she was a match for Bill Murray in Ghostbusters. If she was in this playing like somebody he was attracted to, you know, all that kind of stuff. I feel like she would have been Sigourney the Weaver chemistry would have, been, would have been better. You're right. Would have been so good because the, the thing is we needed to believe that this woman is a really good natured, good hearted person, but also needs to be kind of tough and really has to like stand up to, uh, you know, Bill Murray's character. And I just don't feel like Andy McDowell pulled that off. Sigourney Weaver. Yes, absolutely. How cool would that have been to kind of have a reteaming of them after so many years yes. of Ghostbuster stuff to do a comedy like this together. It would have been great. You're right. She would have been perfect. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just, again, it just, that performance is always hung up. My wife and I, every time this movie's on, we'll end up watching it on channel cable or whatever, but we always just kind of cringe with, with her performance, unfortunately. And it's just because it just doesn't work in the film. I don't feel like so. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for today, Chris. We did a review of Shirley, which we both really liked starring Elizabeth Moss. Uh, we also did a review of the film 
you should have left, which we also both liked. I think Chris even liked it maybe a little better than me, which is surprising. I did not expect that, but um, uh, we're both- <laughs> No expectations. It's <laughs> film worth watching. And I think in our changed uh, status of movie going these days, it is now in a higher tier of quality that we get to watch and we can now enjoy it. Um, we talked about some news. We talked about some film projects that are underway or being released soon that we're anxious about and going to keep an eye on. And then we had our recommendations, Chris, with uh, the long-awaited review of Chris's Groundhog Day, and then me with The American President by Rob Reiner, starring Michael Douglas. So with that, Chris, I think we're done. But now, obviously, I'm sure we generated some questions. Maybe some people saw these films and had some uh, thoughts of their own. How can they have a dialogue with us about their, their opinions? If you're a member of the Andy McDowell fan club and you want to tell us how yeah. we're wrong, you know send, those emails, send those emails directly to me. I'll take them because I'm kind of the one that threw the, threw the daggers on that. So, so uh, send the emails to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are both on Letterboxd where we track what we're seeing. Uh, give us a star rating or write a review for us in iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. That helps bring more promise to the podcast, and we always appreciate that. Al, I mentioned previously Foot Candle Film Festival, September 23rd through the 27th. Uh, we'll be putting more information up at the website, footcandlefilmfestival.com. So be sure to check that out, check that out for our lineups and stuff like that. All right. Well, that is it for today's episode. We'll be back uh, here in a couple of weeks with another episode and some more movie reviews and other things to share. Until then, thanks so much for listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Don't forget to subscribe if you want to get future episodes through Apple iTunes, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever your podcast may be found. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. When theaters get open again, I'll see you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.